Good morning. I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. We're in week two of this series called Exponential. We're calling this our four-week journey to Easter. And I want to invite all of you to join with us on this four-week journey. Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're going to watch the video later or listen to the podcast online. But journey with us as we take these next four weeks to prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in us and through us on Easter weekend. I believe that God wants to do something extraordinary in our church this Easter. And this is our opportunity to be a movement that multiplies, to multiply disciples, ministries, people who are following Jesus. There are hurting people all around us who need to know Jesus, amen? And so we are called to bring, bring hope in the dark, to bring healing, to bring encouragement to people around us who don't have access to that yet. And so that's what this series is all about, is gearing up our hearts to prepare for what God wants to do in us and through us on Easter Sunday. And that's why Kristen talked about the Easter egg hunt. That's why we're doing it, so that we can spread that light and that hope of Jesus with our neighbors around us. So we're taking this four-week journey. We're going to culminate on Good Friday, and then we're going to celebrate at Osseo High School for Easter. Well, let's get going. Uh, week two of Exponential. Do you ever have one of those moments where just kind of time slows down and it causes you to stop and reflect. You know, just in the business of life, so often we can just go, 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 and then all of a sudden something happens and you're kind of forced to reflect. I had one of those moments yesterday. I was at a funeral. Uh, Christine Bartlett's father had passed away and was sitting there in the service hearing the stories about his life. And every time I go to a funeral, it makes me just stop and think, and reflect. Because the reality is all of us someday are going to come to the end of our life. We're going to pass away. People are going to gather and they're going to talk about us. And what will they say? And I was sitting there in that funeral. I was thinking about my parents, honestly. And I was thinking about, man, what will my kids say about my parents, their memories with their, with their grandparents? And then someday when, when I pass away, what will my kids say about me? What memories will they have hearing the, the three daughters of Phil talk about his life and the things he loved to do and their memories about him? Man, what is my life going to be known for? Funerals also remind us that this world is not our home, amen? Like there's something broken about this world. And there is death and there is sickness and there is cancer. But we know that someday... All will be made right again. And, and there is a promise of healing. And funerals kind of force us to confront that, that we're not home yet. How many of you right now, go ahead and raise your hand. You're, you're living with some kind of sickness, some kind of disease, something that, man, you're just like, this is not good. I, I could use some healing in my life right now. Go ahead and raise your hands up. Keep them up, keep them up. How many of you know someone in your life who could use some healing? Keep those hands up. Yeah, look around. I think pretty much everyone in this room, right? We know someone who's either hurting, who needs some healing, or maybe in our lives, we need some healing. That's the world that we live in. 70% of Americans are on some sort of prescription medication for an injury or an illness. Over half of Americans are on at least two medications for an illness or an injury. When sin entered the world, people are suffering, they're sick, and they're struggling. But a promise was made 700 years before Jesus was born that his ministry on the cross would be about two things. Number one, that he'd forgive sins spiritually and that he'd heal bodies physically. 
Isaiah 53 says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And here's the key phrase. And with his wounds, we are healed. Amen? What can make me whole again? What can bring healing? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And there's a promise that although sin has entered our world and sin affects our our soul and our physical body, but Jesus came to forgive us and to heal our souls and also our bodies. But the big question is, we can look at the life of Jesus and see all the times that he touched people and he healed them, but does God still do that today? Does Jesus still step into our world and interrupt the natural order of things and bring healing? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, And to answer that, we're going to continue on our journey through the book of Acts, which we've been doing for the last couple months. Before we do that, would you just join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you that you are here with us. God, I thank you for this opportunity to gather with friends, with family, to just spend some time in your word. God, I pray that uh, the words I speak would be your words. God, I pray that your spirit would be in and around and work through my words so that people here could hear the message they need to hear. And God, I pray that at the end of the service, people would experience healing, that you would step into our worlds and uh, break into the sickness and despair and chaos and bring your healing touch. In your name we pray, amen. Well, let's continue on as we journey through the book of Acts chapter 9. We're going to see the Holy Spirit bringing life and healing where once there was just bondage. We're going to see two different accounts of healing in the life of the early church. We've been journeying through the book uh, chapter 9 the last couple of weeks. We find ourselves in verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now, Peter, if you remember, is one of the chief leaders of the disciples. He's probably the oldest one of the disciples. Uh, Back when he was walking and talking with Jesus, only Jesus and Peter paid the temple tax, so he was probably the only disciple over the age of 18. And now in the life of the early church, Peter stepped into some leadership. And we've seen the last couple of months how God has been working through Peter's life to transform him from this guy who denied Jesus three times to someone who was able to preach and 3,000 people responded to reach out to a crippled man and, and bring healing through the Holy Spirit. And how did that happen? We saw in Acts chapter two, how the Holy Spirit came into Peter's life and empowered him, changed him from cowardly to courageous. And now Peter is, is traveling around and, and visiting some of the different saints and, and the followers of Jesus. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. All right. Emotionally, I need you to kind of go there because it's so easy in the Bible just to read through. Oh, he's paralyzed for eight years. Okay. But connect with this guy. How many of you know someone who has been or currently is bedridden? You know, maybe someone who can't get out of bed. Their life is constrained by a bed. That's their whole life. Now go back a few thousand years before all our modern day technology and medicine and think about what life was like for Aeneas. This is someone who can't provide for himself. There's no welfare. There's no system in place to take care of people like that. They can't travel. They don't have many of the resources that we have today. Their life is really limited and constrained just to this bed for eight long years. And here's Luke. He's our author. He's a medical doctor. 
He's our author, and he's given lots of details on this case study. Not only is he bedridden, but our doctor tells us he's paralyzed. He can't move. Now, this man probably had some friends who've been helping him survive for eight years. Otherwise, he probably couldn't have survived. They're probably bringing him some food, maybe some clothing. They're helping him out. But his friends could really only do so much for this man. It's possible you have some people in your life, they've been helping you out. They've been helping you survive, but they can only do so much. And sometimes you have to get past the point of just getting help so you can get healed. See, what Aeneas needed was a touch from Jesus, amen? And sometimes you have to get past the point of just your friends helping you out. You know, just, and that's good, but ultimately we all need a touch by Jesus to receive healing. Verse 34, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Who heals him? Jesus. Peter doesn't say, hey, I've got the gift of healing. You know, you can have access to it for a special love offer of 995. And if you send in your offering, I'll give you a hanky to wave over your injury. And we got special essential oils from Jerusalem. And if you put this on, you'll be healed. No, that's not what he does, right? Peter's not taking credit for this. Peter knows that if anyone's going to be healed, who's going to do the healing? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Then he tells the man to do something. He says, rise and make your bed. Rise and make your bed. He says, get up. It's an act of faith, right? He says, start living in the reality of your healing. I think some of you today are not living in the reality that you've been forgiven by Jesus. You're still holding on to that shame and guilt. But on the cross, Jesus says, your sins are removed. They're gone. Some of you have been touched by Jesus and healed, but you're still living in that reality of being living in bondage. You need to walk in that reality of new life to rise up. See, sanctification is a fancy word we talk about. It's the process of becoming that which we've been declared to be. That when we bow the knee to Jesus, we are made right with God. Our sins are washed away. We have a new status as a son or a daughter, as an heir of God. But then we spend our whole life, the sanctification of walking with the Holy Spirit to become that which God declared us to be, that we are a child of God, that we walk in new life with a new mind and a new spirit. And Peter tells him, rise and make your bed. How many moms in the room are really glad he said that? Right? It's like, man, I've been looking for a verse to tell my husband or my kids to make their bed. And here we go. Here it is, right? It's a good verse. How many of you don't like making your bed? I don't love making my bed. Yeah, exactly. But here's, here's my challenge this week. Is that whenever you make your bed next, maybe tomorrow, hopefully, but whenever you make your bed next, just say a quick prayer and be like, God, you know what? Thank you that I am able to make my bed. I imagine this man, he jumped up and he was so excited to make his bed. For eight years, he was paralyzed. He was unable to do that. And now, because Jesus has healed him, he's able to rise up and make his bed. Tomorrow morning, when you get up, when you make your bed, just think about that. Just as an opportunity to say, God, thank you for giving me the ability to, to rise, to stand. And let that be a trigger too, as you make your bed tomorrow. Man, let me walk in the reality of what Jesus has declared over me. That I'm saved, that I'm forgiven, that I am adopted in the family of God. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. And they turned to the Lord. 
because of this healing, lots of people became Christians. They want to meet this Jesus who healed this man they'd known for eight years who'd been paralyzed. And see, so often God wants to use your pain. God wants to use your past as a prop to point people to Jesus. This man waited eight long years for healing. Maybe you've been praying for a while, but maybe the answer is not yet, not yet. Because God wants to use your pain, your experiences, your past, ultimately as a prop to point people to Jesus. See, we don't get healed just for us. We get healed so that people can point to Jesus and say, man, it's all him. Man, I want to know this Jesus who, who loves us and who heals us. And so we pray. Maybe like this man, you're in this position of you're waiting and hoping. He waited eight years. Maybe your healing won't come this side of eternity. Ultimately, we know that God will redeem and restore us with new bodies. But we wait, we pray. And so Peter prays for this man who's been waiting for healing for eight years and God heals him and, and God used him as a prop to point people to Jesus. Verse 36, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She's full of good works and acts of charity. Tabitha, great name, right? Dorcas, man, that's a bummer. <laughs> like, that is sad. Like, we got a bunch of pregnant women in the church. Like, maybe go with Tabitha, not Dorcas. Like, just saying. I don't know. But here's what you know about Tabitha. Ladies, I want you to see this. I want you to see that here God takes a woman and puts her front and center as an example of exceeding godliness. I love that. The book of Acts, the Gospel of Luke, our author, he's probably the first feminist in history that he lifts up women as equal as men. And man, in this day and age, that was radical. And here we're going to see that God is lifting up Tabitha, this wonderful woman. She's a disciple. She's, she's ministering to people. She's generous. Maybe she's wealthy. We don't really know. We don't hear anything about her husband. So she's either single or maybe she's a widow. But she's doing these awesome good deeds. She's helping people out. She's serving them. She's tangibly showing love. And in those days, she became ill and died. And when they'd washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood open. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and sh showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. In this society, especially, widows were on the bottom rung without anyone to really represent or protect them. They were poor. They had no civil rights. They didn't have the ability to own property. They were the lowest of the low. But these are the people that Tabitha gave her life to serve. And these widows aren't concerned with questions of theology. They aren't interested in the consolation that, hey, there's going to be a better life for you someday on the other side of eternity. They're too poor. They're just consumed with the need to survive. Now that Tabitha has died, they're like, how are we going to survive? What are we going to do? We need God to break into our situation. What I love is that Dr. Luke, our author, is saying that there is someone, there is an unmoved mover, some subversive reality that breaks into our history, that fights for widows, that fights for the least of these. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that cares about those in the lowest rung of society that no one else sees? That's our God. And so Peter came and he comes to these widows and they're showing him, man, these are all the good deeds that Tabitha did. Verse 40, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. 
Again, I love how Dr. Luke tells the story. He says he clears the room, partially because with a lot of emotions going on, it's hard to get clarity when things are so emotional. I love that Peter kneels down and he prays. So the Bible tells us that we can pray standing. We can pray walking. That's how I prefer to pray. The Bible even tells us we can pray laying in our beds. But sometimes we need to pray on our knees. See, when we kneel, our body is saying something, right? It's saying a lot physically. It's a theological statement that when we get on our knees, it's what happens when we surrender. It's a posture of saying, God, you are my king. And in the presence of my king, I hit my knees. I'm telling you that you are my highest authority, not myself. It's a good posture. You don't have to pray on your knees, but sometimes it's good, like Peter, to hit your knees and say, God, this is in your hands. It's completely out of mine. This is all up to you. And so Pastor Peter, even though he's a great man and a great leader, God's already done amazing things through him. And still he hits his knees. He kneels down. He prays for Tabitha and he prays that God will bring her back from the dead. Man, what a bold, bold prayer. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Man, what a great story. Now, this week as I was studying this passage, uh, there's something I came across I think is super cool. Now, you may not think it's cool, but... I'm up here with the microphone, so I'm gonna share it with you. So here. <laughs> but does this story remind you of anything? Maybe you've been around Mosaic for a while, maybe you've been in church. Uh, man, this story reminds me of when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the grave. Do you remember that? Luke chapter eight, I preached on it on Mother's Day about two years ago. And there's a, there's a lot of cool similarities in these stories. In that one, Jesus sends everyone out of the room. This little girl's dead. He sends everyone out of the room except Peter and his two best friends, James and John. What does Peter do? Sends everyone out of the room. Confronted in the same situation, he saw his rabbi, a dead body. What does he do? He falls back to what he saw his rabbi do. Because Peter remembered that he had been rejected by everyone and he was a fisherman. And all the other rabbis had passed him by. He wasn't good enough until one day, as a late teenager, probably with his father, this rabbi Jesus walks by and says, hey, come follow me. And see, in that culture, what that meant was the rabbi saw something in you and said, hey, I believe that you can be like me. I believe that you can do what I can do. And Peter, confronted with death and sickness, remembers, hey, my rabbi told me that I could be like him, that I could do the things that he did. And so Peter believes that he can pray. He saw his rabbi raise someone from the dead, I'm going to pray the same thing. That's why when you read the story of, of Peter seeing Jesus walk on water, it seems crazy. Like, why does Peter get out of the boat? Because <laughs> he believed his rabbi. 
He's like, well, if my rabbi can walk on water, I guess I can too. And Peter gets a lot of flack for falling in the water, but man, he got out of the boat, amen? And how many of us, when we see a dead body, would just say, well, it's over. But Peter's like, all right, I don't have all the schooling that you know, some of my disciple buddies have, but I'm believing that if Jesus called me, that means I'm equipped, that he gave me his power in Acts 2, and so he prays for him that I can do what Jesus called me to do. And here's what's super cool too. When you read the story of Jesus, he spoke Aramaic to the little girl who was dead. And if Peter most likely spoke Aramaic as well, what Peter spoke to this woman was the exact same thing that Jesus spoke, except for one letter difference. I just think that is super cool. Jesus said to the little girl, Talitha kum, whereas Peter would have said, Tabitha kum. Now, how cool is that, that Luke puts that little story in there that in Aramaic, it's only one letter difference. Again, I think that's phenomenal. You think maybe that you're a nerd, Eric. That is super cool. And I think something about Peter, he's like, wow, this is almost exactly the same situation I saw my rabbi in, Jesus. And so here we go. Same exact thing he said. I'm going to say one letter difference. And God uses that faith and the Holy Spirit brings her back to life. And I love the little details that Dr. Luke tells us. That Pastor Peter, he gives her his hand and he lifts her up. I just love that picture with me. A woman, maybe Tabitha, maybe her kids have grown up and left the house. And, and, and now she's caring for these younger moms in her community, these younger women who are looking up to her. Maybe she leads a Monday night women's group, I don't know. She gets sick, she dies. And these women are lost without her. God raises her up. And I love the tenderness in Peter. He takes her by the hand and helps her out of bed. I just picture someone's grandma laying there and she gets a second chance. Now she's gonna die eventually again, but she gets a second chance to continue on the work that God has called her to do. Verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, who investigated and wrote down all these stories? So we're talking about Dr. Luke, a medical doctor. And here's what we believe is that God works through natural means of medicine. And God also works through the supernatural means of miracle. We're not against medicine here. A medical doctor is our author. I mean, we spent, I don't know, 50 weeks in the book of Luke and now... I don't know, 20 some weeks and acts hearing. So we're all about medicine. We believe you should go to your doctor and go to your great physician, Jesus. We believe you should seek wellness in medicinal ways as well as praying to Jesus in the supernatural. We believe in both. And here we have a medical doctor giving us the supernatural reports. So our question is, can God still do this today or is that just in the lives of Peter and Paul and those people? Yes, God still can do miracles. God still can do healing And we're going to see in the book of Acts the supernatural work of Jesus through the book. There's 14 different miraculous healings in the book of Acts. 12 of the 28 chapters have a supernatural miraculous healing. We see that Jesus does heal throughout the book of Acts. But he doesn't heal in every single chapter. He doesn't heal every single person. 
but he does it sometimes according to his sovereign will. And you know what? We don't understand why sometimes Jesus chooses to step in and heal someone and why he doesn't. But we trust that we serve a good God, amen? This Jesus who calls each and every one of us as our rabbi and says, hey, come follow me. I believe you can be like me, that you can do the things that I did. And then he goes to the cross for us so that by his blood that we can be healed. And we don't understand all of why some people get healed and some people don't. This paralyzed man had to wait eight years to be healed. So sometimes the answer is just later. Sometimes the answer is no, and we don't get that, but we trust and hope. But here's what we need to do. And here's what Peter had to do. We have to put into practice the power that we have received. When Jesus was giving his last words to his disciples in Acts 1.8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He says, wait, wait for that Holy Spirit. Wait to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that you can preach the gospel. That's the only way healing can come through you, that people can walk into their purpose and step into their spiritual gifts. But we have to practice that power that has been given us. So here's what I want you to do, some action items, Mosaic. If you came today with someone who is sick, suffering, someone who has heartache, they need physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing, before the service is done, I want you to put some hands on them and, and to pray for them. Number two, in just a couple minutes, we're gonna have some of our leaders down front. We want to lay hands on you. We wanna pray for you and do exactly what the Bible tells us to do. James, the brother of Jesus, he writes this down. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. The Bible says to come in faith to Jesus. If you came with someone today, man, I want us to practice the power that you've been given to lay a hand on that and to pray for them. We're going to have our, some of our leaders down front. And when the band plays the song, to come down to receive some prayer. And then number three, this week in your small group, if there's someone in your small group who is suffering, who is sick, I want us to commit in our small groups, we're gonna be praying for them. Not just in our small group, but throughout the whole week. We're gonna say, we're here, we're gonna keep praying for you every day. We're gonna be lifting you up. We're gonna be praying for healing. We're gonna be praying for wholeness that only comes through Jesus. And as a community, we're gonna be praying for each other. So we can be God's people. What would it look like for us to be a community that's lifting each other up in prayer, that is caring for one another, that is meeting each other's needs like Tabitha did? I believe that's what God is calling us to do. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. The band's going to lead us to the songs, and uh, we're going to be down here, some of us. And I just want to encourage you, come forward for prayer. If you need healing, if you need just a touch from God, there is something powerful about rising up. That word rise points to the resurrection. And there's, there's healing power in taking that step of faith. 
getting out of your chair, stepping forward and saying, God, I believe that you're my healer. And I'm gonna trust you. Whether the answer is not yet, yes, or even no. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you that through what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we can experience salvation and we can experience healing. That through the blood that was shed, through the stripes that Jesus bore for us, we can be made whole. So God, I pray right now, God, that you would bring healing. God, I pray for those who are physically suffering, emotionally suffering. God, that you would bring healing right here in this place, in this gymnasium. And God, I just, I pray that we could let go of guilt and shame. God, if there are things that we've done that we need to confess, God, that we would confess them so that we could receive your healing in our, in our souls. Be with us now as we sing to you. In your name we pray, God. Amen.